Hey, this is Val. I'm one of the co-founders of FutureProof, and you're listening to The Web, but better. This is the podcast where you're going to hear about the ever-evolving world of emerging technologies. We question the ability for individual autonomy in a world of algorithms, resilience of social networks in the face of changing sentiments, and how best to preserve our privacy and data rights with or without the help of legislation. In this episode, I talk with Amethyst, and I learn about their journey developing technical skills while having a non-traditional background. They just stay curious and go down these rabbit holes. So you're going to hear all about that. And during our conversation, we do get into some of the weeds when it comes to DeFi and crypto. So we've made sure to include a lot of resources, links, a glossary in the show notes. Definitely check that out and you'll get a lot more context for the episode. But overall, it was just a great conversation and it's very accessible. So thanks so much for being here and hope you enjoy the show. I'm Amethyst, or Amy, or Madeline, or Maddie. All four names are totally valid for me. I'm a former community developer for Open, and now currently I have my kind of like my own business slash company slash development group. I am writing open source software and some commission-based work. Yeah, that's what I do right now. That's a great start. I first want to make sure that people get a chance to just know more about you and get a fuller picture of who Amethyst is. So can you talk about how you got into tech in general? Oh, <laughs> I, I've been, I've been using computers like for a long time. I can still vaguely remember when my mom, she's a teacher and stuff. She had to call like a, like a work computer that the school provided her and I would just, I don't know, play around with the the computer, Windows XP days, yeah. <laughs> or when I had to like wait for my mom to finish her work, I would just be doing things on the computers. I would just be messing around with things like Word or PowerPoint. And computers just kind of fascinated me, especially YouTube and that helped a lot. Like video games also helped enforce me getting into tech, especially. And then around like 2016, I finally got my own gaming laptop and I'm like, wow, I can finally run games. And that kind of like kept the snowball rolling. And sometime in high school, I started taking some computer science classes. One of the games I played back then was Roblox. And that's like, yeah, it's a bit of a simplistic game sometimes. I don't like calling Roblox a game. It's more like the likes of like a game engine, like Unity. So like you could build your own stuff. So I delved into trying to make games, writing code. I even had one of my uh, classmates back in high school was a Roblox developer and still is actually. Mm. But it was a cool learning experience and I'm glad that I, I tried to do it. But game development, it's not really for me. So you got into Roblox and gaming and you mentioned that you got your first gaming laptop, but you also did take computer science classes. Did it feel like a natural fit to you? Like, oh, I have an interest in computers, so let me go and learn about computer science. I think the fact that I was able to have that gaming laptop 
helped because I could actually do various things that my old computer couldn't do. I mean, I would be able to program on the other one, but it kind of like set out a better spark in terms of being able to do it and feel confident with it. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I like. I really like about programming. It does have all this power. I can build useful tools that other people can use. It helps me build my other products and stuff, right? But I can Mm -hmm. also help others out in the process. Funny enough, when I went to college, I didn't study computer science as everyone expected that I would. I studied business. I needed scholarships and college is expensive. I wasn't exactly high in GPA because I had just some really bad mistakes I made back in ninth grade. I hate geometry. But anyway, it was really difficult to be eligible. I applied to many scholarships nothing came out of it. Many scholarships even like kind of like automatically disqualified me because my parents collectively make too much money, but mm-hmm. we were also riddled with debt. But if we wanted to prove that, you have to basically submit all your life. We have to ruin all your privacy, selecting every single document just to get like a thousand. And meanwhile, the college costs like 12,000. Originally, I was supposed to going under the computer science kind of like path. But during the process of looking for scholarships, my mom came across one very interesting scholarship that the U.S. government was providing. Basically, you would work for this agency, right? You would study computer science for four years to get you to to your bachelor's. They would pay off the entire college expenses and the other expenses, right? Every summer during college, they would fly you out to Maryland work there, but also cover all expenses like like lodging, transportation, food, whatever. That's, and they pay you as well. Right? And then at the college, you have kind of like a contract deal to work for them for like additional four or six years. It sounds like a really cool deal. You want to know the problem with this? You have to work for the government? <laughs> it's the NSA. Too good to I be true. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> they're paying for everything. But... There's some risk with this. And my parents insisted that I do it. I didn't oh, really? They were really for it. it. They, they even got recommendations of letters. But you didn't want to do it. For context, I'm a Filipino. We're from Asia. <laughs> so like my parents, they grew up in the Philippines. They grew up very poor. Yeah. Very, very poor. My mom was very fortunate enough to have a scholarship to pay for her her college. She got her bachelor's in education and she was able to teach. Even that, like going to America was a whole different challenge. They took a lot of sacrifices, a lot of time to get to where we are. It's like, you know, I can see why they would want me to go through this because they weren't that fortunate enough to have this opportunity just kind of handed to them when you have the expertise, but I didn't do it. And my parents, we even submitted the papers to the NSA. And oh my God, I went to the first phase and they wanted to interview me. I was like, nope, I deleted the email. I removed every trace of it. I switched my degrees to business to instantly disqualify me. So that's how you ended up going into business then? Yes. Wow. It seems like a lot of the work that you've been doing professionally has involved coding. And like, I'm really curious to know your thoughts on community management and how that specific role lends itself to, you know, what people would consider something more technical. Around late 2020, pandemic times, no, everyone hated it, right? Yeah. I kind of started getting back into crypto and I heard about these things, smart contracts, but pretty interesting. So I kind of started looking into it. 
you know what? Let me try learning Solidity. I started learning it, learning it, and I kept going, growing with it. I tried to make my first own project. It was similar to like Gnosis Save, but then I had an idea. Open, they had launched their V2 product. And I was like, what if you could do kind of like social trading type of deal, but with options? Mm-hmm. It's similar to like decentralized option vaults, like Ribbon Finance, which is one of the top integrators of Open at the time. So I built, I started up the project optional. We managed to get funded by Open via dev grant. So I launched my first version, Mercury. And so it was a very basic product. It was just to get out there and test the waters and stuff. Not many people used it. I think only like two or three unique people used it. But the idea of it was was there. Late November, someone at Open reached out to me. And they kind of like mentioned like, hey, we're going to be opening a new position about community management. And we just wanted to ask you, like, do you want to take on the job? I was a very active community member in Open. I pretty much knew the protocol, like, it's the back of my hand. Like, Optional was building on top of Open, basically. You also did this just independently. You were just working on this project because you were curious about it and wanted to build something. Initially, yes, but no, because actually at Open, I wanted to intern as a smart contract engineer, but they were like, yo, what if instead of interning, we just gave you a dev grant so you could work on this project. I didn't feel like it was enough. So I started working on Venus, right? But sure, you have another, you have a new direction, but ribbons out here, are like another bunch of DOVs, they've already saturated the area. They've already collected all the money. So... The next version, Earth, was trying to break away from DOVs and trying to make it a more modular approach, trying to make it something that people, instead of like users depositing into optional, rather it would be developers, other protocols who would integrate into optional. And that's another Lego piece. So now on top of smart contract design, I was also doing front-end stuff, right? So I had to seek to Gitcoin. So basically you you got the grant from open initially, but then to get additional funds, you went through the Gitcoin grant round. Yeah. So the first round, I remember making somewhere around like $3,200. I was like, well, that's that's good. We can yeah. actually pay to deploy smart contracts, but it costs like $2,000 to yes. deploy. Uh, yeah. I and I can imagine time. the timeline too of when you were trying to do this. ETH was super expensive, congestion on the network, all this stuff. 2021 was so bad. That yeah. was so bad in terms of congestion. You could not deploy there without having thousands of dollars. I asked the community, do they want this on mainnet or do they want it on L2? L2, overwhelmingly, no questions asked. But then here comes the second Gitcoin bank now. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I don't know how, but we raised over $20,000. Wow, amazing. I mean, 3200 is nothing to sneeze at either, but... <laughs> I was shocked. The quadratic funding made a massive portion of that. And I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I was I was shocked. Like 20,000 in a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wild. So crypto and DeFi is like computer science meets economics. How did you get into trading before you even started working on these projects? Like just one night or something. On the, app, on the app store, looking for apps. I'm trying to look for games. And I found one, it wasn't really a game game, kind of a simulator, but it was a stock trading simulator. And I kind of got hooked into it. And it's like, okay, let me start reading up more on the news, like CNBC and Market Watch and stuff. 
I was like suggested to my parents, like, oh, we should invest money into the stock market. And that was completely foreign to them because neither of them had really ever thought of doing that at home. Right. How did they react to that? They were like, huh. They would open a Robinhood account under my dad's name and they would make, I mean, they would deposit some money and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. But the thing is, I kind of realized I suck at trading. <laughs> I'm not a trader. Oh, no. I cannot trade for the life of me. It is, it's stressful. Like yeah. I've tried, I remember doing it every so often. I remember on Kraken. Oh my God. The emotions that you feel is crazy. It's like, you have to contain those emotions. Otherwise, it's going to be the end of you. Yeah. But you just like followed your curiosity with the engineering, computer science stuff, and then with the trading, just like going down the rabbit hole kind of. Yeah. That's basically what has happened. I've always just kind of like, I don't know, just wanted to find out. I guess the last thing though that I'm curious about, what to you feels like is still missing. What is the thing that you wish existed that doesn't yet exist? One of my favorite projects in Web3 is Aztec. And I feel like there's a very lack of privacy-centric blockchain type of deals. Like, yeah, there's Monero and stuff. In terms of Ethereum, Ethereum was built to be public by design. Right. And that's not going to be helpful for everyone. I am in a good position where privacy isn't a hundred percent concern for me, but for others, it can be. And I feel like there's a lack of tools and lack of focus and participation in terms of privacy-centric stuff. And it doesn't help when legislators all like to claim that privacy is going to help criminals, but like not everyone is fortunate enough to be able to get into this field because trying to get into it or doing what they want to do or if they desperately need something could get them hurt somehow, yeah. right? Because hurt them, hurt others. And it's like this whole rhetoric with privacy is really unfortunate. Privacy is a major thing that I believe in. Why is that important for you personally? For me, it's like... I don't have a particularly strong reason to be scared of like, oh, the government's going to go after me. Oh, people are going to see what I'm doing on chain. And like, I'm just a very strong supporter. Do you feel like privacy is like a human right? Oh, for sure. No one needs to know what you're doing unless you explicitly grant that permission. For example, the government's wanting to get rid of end-to-end -end encryption. It's just under this guy that, like, wouldn't be able to track every move that you do. It's really sad to see when this is actively causing harm. And it doesn't help that in this time of age and stuff where everything's being politicized, people's lives are being politicized. Oh, you're trans or you need an abortion. They're going to use that information against you. And it's already being actively used against people. And it's, it's scary. It's scary, like, this. Like, people are trying to make this a nationwide or even international wide thing to get rid of. And it's just going to harm people that are not privileged enough to be able to protect themselves in various ways or to save themselves even. So that's like super full circle because 
you're talking about potentially working for the NSA or an option. And now I can see very clearly why this is not a good option for you. <laughs> and it proves I'm not a sad, I think. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you again. This was, this is really awesome. Yeah. Thank you.